0: If you have a copy of God's word, turn to first John chapter 2. And we'll begin reading at verse 21 through 23. He says, I have not written unto you because you know not, because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no liar, no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. May we pray. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding this morning of the Scriptures as we look into the Word of God. May you open up our hearts, receive the engrafted Word, that we might grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. That we might come to love Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit more and more in our lives. And appreciate the Savior to whom we serve. In his name we pray. Amen. This is a tremendous subject. I want to read you a quote from Nehemiah Cox. He was in 1697. He said, there can be no gospel peace without truth we are never to compromise the truth for peace. Nor communion of saints without an agreement in the fundamental principles of the Christian religion. We can't have communion with people who reject the principles of the word of God. If someone rejects the second coming of Christ, we cannot fellowship them in that sense because they are rejecting the fundamental teachings of the word of God. Someone rejects that Jesus is God we cannot have communion with them because they're rejecting the Word of God. One of the main principles of the Word of God, they're denying the Word of God. In uh, in First uh, Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And I'll say that the incarnation is a mystery. There's things in the incarnation we cannot comprehend. Jesus being, taking on human flesh is a mystery. We'll be looking into some of that this morning. And I hope you'll come to a clear understanding of his person. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in flesh. Now who was manifested in flesh? God. God was manifested in flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preached on unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. And received up into glory. And that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The mystery of godliness. As we look at 1 John, we will look at verse 21. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. If you have the truth, it will show, you know, error is like darkness, truth is like the light. Where there's light, it's going to reveal the darkness. And it, it, error will be revealed through the truth. Believers know the truth by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth. The word know is only to have knowledge by the illuminating of the Holy Spirit, by, not by experience, but by inward revelation of God's word. As you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit reveals things to you inwardly in your spiritual mind. Jesus said in John 14, 16, and 17, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. See, truth comes by the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you And shall be in you. And that's the promise of Christ to his people. In verse 26 of John 14 it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now we need the Holy Spirit's teaching, illuminating our minds and hearts As you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will open up those verses to you. And Brother Dave can testify to that in his studying. All of a sudden, a verse, you're reading it, and it just opens up like a flower. You say, boy, I never saw that before. It's so beautiful. And it's a blessing when that happens. We need the teaching of the Holy Spirit and bring all things to your remembrance. I know I'm glad when I'm in this pulpit preaching, the Holy Spirit brings verses to our remembrance. You study and you prepare, but yet there's verses that come to your mind right out just out of nowhere, where well, it comes from the Holy Spirit. He gives you those verses, and it helps to uh, illustrate the truth more clearly. We depend upon the Holy Spirit to do that. As it said in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. There's a special ministry of the Spirit to the saint of God in understanding the Word of God. You must realize that and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the scriptures that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You want to know what the hope of his calling is and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, Paul speaks about the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3, around verse 9. The unsearchable riches. There's riches that can keep us just rejoicing all day long, studying about Christ. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power. We should never lose sight of that. The greatness of his power to us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power. We don't believe on our own. We believe by his power. When the Holy Spirit exerts his power. We will be brought to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the greatness of that in our lives. First John two twenty two Who is the liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. We had a lot we have a lot of religious denominations today, like the Unitarians. They give lip service to God, the Father being God, but they reject Jesus as being God, just like the Jews did in the times of Christ. Jehovah Witnesses will recognize God the Father, but they will not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They do not recognize him as being one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. When it speaks about sons of God in the Bible, we see the sons of God mentioned as the angels. They were created. Sons of God. We're called sons of God, and we're sons of God by adoption. By adoption. Jesus, as we're going to see as we get on into the message, is called the only begotten Son of God. There's none other like Christ. None. We're not, we're not son of God like Christ is because he shares the very essence of God the Father and the Holy Spirit as we're going to see. Who is the liar? The definite article is before liar there. They deny the miraculous conception of Christ in the virgin birth. And there's many today who deny the virgin birth. They say he was born like any other man. He has sinned but he was born as a virgin Mary and he was born without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So they deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Some people object, well, Jesus, he was born of Mary has a sinful nature. No, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They limit the Holy One of Israel. The Holy Spirit formed Adam, God, out of the earth, made him a living soul. He became a living soul when God breathed into him. In his creation, he was without sin. So God is not limited to creating Christ in his human flesh without sin. To me, it's very simple. But they don't want to accept the simplicity of the gospel. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Because if Christ had sin, he could not atone for our sins. He would have to atone for his own sins. Secondly, the name Jesus, Jesus, from the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. In the name of Jesus is contained the doctrines of deity, humanity, and vicarious atonement of the person who bears that name, Jesus Christ. The name Christ is Christos, meaning the anointed one. And this is the translation of the Hebrew word from which we get the name Messiah. Messiah. So Jesus Christ is the person who has two natures. We're going to get into this. He has the divine nature and he has a human nature. Keep that distinction in mind as you read the word of God. And you'll see it plainly as we go through this. I'll try to go slowly so that you can understand some of these things that I'm speaking to you about. In Matthew twenty-two forty-one 41 through 45, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think you of Christ? They had all different opinions about Christ. Some of he was a prophet. Some of he was one of the old prophets. Whose son is he? And this was the key question. Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Hence that unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand Till I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, How is he his son? Now, what he was getting the Jews to confess and to admit that he was God. He was God. He was Lord. Before he was the son of man, he was the son of God. And that's what they were denying. The Jews denied the same thing. The father was God and was manifested himself as Jehovah of the Old Testament. But they refused to believe in the deity of Jesus of Nazareth and his relation to their God as the Son of God. When he said he was the Son of God, one with God, they knew what he meant. He meant he was deity. That he was the same as Jehovah. He He was Jehovah. The Father is Jehovah. The Holy Spirit is Jehovah. There's only one God. And that's what he was getting across to them. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? What he's saying, you've got to go beyond his son. You've got to go to what I really am. I'm the Lord of glory. He was deity. He was the Son of God. He was showing that he was one with the Father in the Godhead. Romans 8 32, 8 3 and verse 32. In verse 3 he says, For what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. Notice this, how God phrases this. God sending His own Son. His own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin condemned sin in the flesh. So He said He sends His own Son. Then verse 32, He says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him Freely, also freely, give us all things. His own son; he was his son, in the only, only son. We're going to see the verses that deal with that because he shared the same nature as the father. The child shares the nature of the parents. Jesus shares the same essence with the father. In Hebrews one eight, it says. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thy throne, O God. The scriptures is saying the Son is God. The Son is God. If you read those verses in Hebrews 1-8, through it speaks about Christ being the creator, being the image and glory of God, being the very image of God. He, when you see Christ, you've seen the Father in the sense that they're one in essence. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Father is God. This is another area which we, we read sometimes over and over. But it says more than just talking about baptism. When you think about the formula that Christ gave us in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. There's a definite article. The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Showing that all three of them made up the Godhead. Because it has a definite article which is pointing to their nature. By nature they were God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. We serve one God, the three manifestations and three personalities in that one God. There's not three gods, there's only one God. They share the same essence. When you think about the verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You could say the Father created, the Son created, and the Holy Spirit created, because they all three God. There's one God, one God in essence, one God in power. What one wills, they all will. You know, you read over there where it says, the Lord prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. If there's only one will, how could that be true? We'll get into that as we go along. So you see, the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is referring to the true and living God. Teaches a trinity of persons in the one Godhead since baptism is administrated equally in the name of all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's testifying that they're all three God. And we bow to the Scriptures. Now I want to look at a few verses that are mentioned where the mention is of the only begotten. John 1 1, it speaks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the word there is called God. He was in fellowship with God. Then we come down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Remember we read 1 Timothy 3.16 And God was manifested in flesh. So the Son, the word, was manifested in flesh. and dwelt, And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the word of God says that no man can see God and live. And Jesus is declared to be in the bosom of the Father. He's seen the Father. How can he see the Father? Not in his humanity, but only in his deity, as he was the Son of God. He was face to face with God in fellowship with God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave his only begotten Son. You know, this verse is not teaching what most people think it teaches. They think, well, God loves the whole world, but that's not what it's saying. Notice this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever present tense is believing. It's emphasizing that the ones who have everlasting life are present tense believing. Believeth means present tense. They're presently believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's true of all those who are believers. Every one of God's people who are presently believing have everlasting life and shall not perish. Thank God for that. And then in 3.18 he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of what? Of who? Of the only begotten Son of God. So those who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God in His deity are not believing in the same Jesus that we do. And there are many that don't, who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God in His deity. 1 John 4, 9, another beautiful verse. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. Ain't that a beautiful thought that God manifested His love toward us? Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. How do we live the Christian life? Through Christ, Amen. through the Son of God. And how does God manifest His love to us? When you see the cross and Christ hanging on the cross and being crucified, there you see the greatest manifestation of God's love. Punishing His Son in our place. He bore the wrath of God in His soul. He bore the punishment and felt the power and evil of sin in His body. They put the thorns in His head and they nailed Him to the cross. And then they pierced His side. He suffered like no man has ever suffered. And he bore the wrath of God on our behalf. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ bore our condemnation on the tree, Brother David. He bore that. This is the one that you love and the one you worship, the one you adore, is Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his body on the tree. We sing a song, how could my, how could my Savior take Calvary go, how could he love me so? That is a mystery, that he could love sinners like us, depraved, wretched, hell-deserving sinners we all were, outside of the grace of God. I want to read you a quote by Robert Hawker back in the 18th century. On the phrase, the only begotten. What does that mean? I like how he put it. In writing to this individual, he said, You have said my faith is that the Son of God as the divine person was eternally begotten of the substance of the Father. He says, Sir, I have never presumed to look into... Much less enter into the hallowed ground of the mystery in relation to the mode of existence of the divine persons in the Godhead. I have no conception of the nature of that relationship which subsists between the Father and the Son. I read of it continually in the Scriptures, and I most cordially accept it, as it is proposed for the object of my faith. But as the Word of God, though plainly declaring it, hath not explained it, so neither do I. You know, the Word of God says the secret things belong unto the Lord, and the things which are revealed belong unto us and our children. God revealed us that Christ is the Son of God, that He's the only begotten, but He didn't explain to us what that means. Since it's one of the secret things of the Lord, we should leave it alone. He's called the only begotten Son of God, that settles it. The only begotten Son was sent into the world to save sinners. He was the only begotten Son of God. And we know that He's one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to bring out some things that I have been reading. And I hope I can make these clear to you that you'll receive a blessing from some of these thoughts. Because we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. The person that we sing hymns to this morning, we sing praise to. We want to know more and more about Jesus. We want to grow in grace and knowledge of him. Paul says in Ephesians that you, you may know him in the power of his resurrection. We want to know Christ. We want to have fellowship with him. We sing that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what a friend we have who's stickled closer than a brother. So as we think about His person, or who He is, I pray this will give you a little understanding of who Christ is. By reason of the strictness of the personal union, whatsoever may be verified of either of these natures, the divine or human nature. Now remember, the person of Christ has the divine nature and the human nature. Keep that in mind as you study the scriptures. The same may be truly spoken of the whole person. For whatsoever is of the nature, it, it, it be dominated. Which nature it be dominated. So anything that's spoken, is spoken about the person. The person of Christ. Wherein he solidly proves that the Son of God took the nature of man, not a human person. Now it speaks in look of that holy thing that should be born of thee. The holy thing. Christ took on to his person a nature, our human nature, but not a person. I know that's hard for us to comprehend that. The person of Christ, he in his deity, he's the person of his human nature. So, what's spoken of him could be spoken of either nature, his human or his divine. Remember that. With himself, and was manifest in flesh and wrought out our redemption. We are painfully instructed from the scriptures that there is but one, one only living and true God who is most pure spirit. Eternal and immutable, incomprehensible and infinitely perfect in his being and all the properties thereof, etc. There's only one true and living God consisting of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now keep that in mind. We speak of omnipresence as essentially property of God. Only God can be everywhere at the same time and nowhere absent. That's how Brother Brock and Brother uh, Jones used to say. God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. Omnipresence is a central property of God grounded on his infiniteness. It is as necessary to him to be omnipresent as to be God. It is all one, therefore, whether we speak of the omnipresence of the Father or the omnipresence of the Son or the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. These three beings, that that one incomprehensible and infinite Jehovah. So Jehovah is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to whom all fear and worship is due and to deny it of any of them is to deny their divinity. And to deny the trinity. And a lot of people do deny the trinity today. Which is really sad. Now we think about eternity. That which is absolute eternal. No beginning without end. And this is properly to God alone. Only God is eternal. And that is in his pure spirit. There was no matter and this is important to comprehend because there's some false teaching going around today that's being taught which is an error and you have to be on your guard at all times. And I want to say this morning also that it's important the church is called the pillar and ground of the truth. It's important that we come to the house of God to be confirmed in the faith. God has called pastors pastors to be your teachers, and to instruct you in the fundamentals of the faith. And I believe that. Brother that Dave is here for that purpose, Roger's here for that purpose, and I'm here for that purpose, that we can confirm you in the faith and help you to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ so that you won't be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what's going on today. There's so many things being taught today that's contrary to Scripture it's really sad. And the only way to protect yourself is have a good congregation, a good local church to be a member of, to join and come faithfully and hear the Word of God preached and instruct you in the things of God. So that all that Christ did or suffered is properly referred to His person. In other words, it's referred to Him as a person, as Jesus Christ. Now here's where we have to make the distinction as we get into this. But if we consider the immediate principle of his actions, some of them must be referred to his divine nature, and some only, and others to his human nature only. Now this is talking about the person, the Son of God. He's called the Son of God. Now I'm going to give you some examples. The Word was God. And the word was made flesh in John 1. He was in the form of God and yet took upon him the form of a servant, which is human nature, a servant. He was true God, God by nature, and true man also, made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The same person who was God over all, blessed forever, had two natures. And sometimes one nature is referred to through the person speaking. It can be Christ and his human nature speaking, but it can be either his divine nature speaking through him or his human nature speaking through him. And this is why confuses a lot of people. Keep that distinction in mind when you read the Word of God. in examples. So that all that Christ did or suffered is properly referring to his person. But if we consider the immediate principle of his actions, some of them must be referred to his divine nature and others to his human nature. Now I have a note from Nehemiah Cox 1697 where he was defending the glory of God in Christ. He says, hence ariseth, and herein is founded that communicate that communication of properties in the Scripture speaking of Christ. One, when that is spoken of the person that agreeeth to him only, respect to his, one of his natures, as when Christ is said to die, of which he was capable only in his human nature. God cannot die in his deity. God cannot die. He gives life. He is life. So when it, when it speaks of Christ and his person dying... It's referring to his human nature. He died in his human nature. Of which he was capable only in his human nature. Or to create all things, which is proper to his divine nature. As man, he did not create all things because he did not exist in eternity. Only the Son of God and his deity existed in eternity. So when it speaks about Jesus Christ creating all things, it's, we have to realize... Speaking of him in his deity, in his divine nature, he created all things. It makes things come more clear to us in our understanding if we keep the distinction between the person who has a divine nature and a human nature. See, we, we are not like that, we can't hardly comprehend that. But the one speaking sometimes is we, we lose sight of who he really is. Jesus is so marvelous, no wonder it's called the mystery of godliness the mystery. It is said of him that he knew what was in man and he searcheth the reins of the heart. That's referring to his divine nature. There's another verse that says, he knew not the day of judgment. A lot of people get confused. Well, if Christ knows all things, how come he didn't know the day of judgment? In his human nature, he didn't know all things. He grew in knowledge as a child in the things of God. He grew into those things and they were revealed to him as a man as the Messiah, as he was growing in statue and in knowledge of God. So when you know it says he does not know all things in the day of judgment, you know that's referring to his human nature. Say, hey, it makes it more clear for us to understand these things. It's an important distinction that we need to keep in mind. So likewise of, of God it is true that he cannot be tempted of evil. He said that in James. And yet Christ, who was God, as well as man, suffered being tempted. But then this could not be as God, but as man considered, is made like to his brethren in all things except sin. Neither can we avoid contradiction without embracing this way of exposition, which is alone suited to the mind of the Spirit of God. In such sayings and found it in the real distinction of both natures without division in the person of Christ. Say there's only one person. And that's why it confuses people. Jesus as man is not, is not a person and then son of God is a person. There's not two persons and there's only one person. Now we can't comprehend that. The secret things belong unto the Lord and the things which are revealed belong to our children. But it's revealed that there's one person with two natures, divine and human. That makes it simple, and sometimes the human nature is doing the doing it or dying. Sometimes the divine nature is. In Acts twenty twenty eight, here's another example. He says, "Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased." with his own blood. God has purchased us with his own blood. You say, I didn't know God had blood. See, again, here's the distinction you have to make. When it says God purchased the church with his own blood, and then in another place, it speaks in John three sixteen. Hereby we perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's speaking of his person, he laid down his life. God laid down his life. You say, well, how could God lay down his life? He can't die. Again, keep the distinction. He laid down his life in his humanity. See, it makes it more clear to understand some of these words, some of these verses. And when he said he purchased the church of God with his own blood, God doesn't have blood. So it's very clear that he's referring to his humanity. He bought the church, although it's speaking of his person because his human nature is part of his person. So he bought the church with his own blood which was in his humanity. He shed his blood and died for us as a sacrifice. I hope these things will give you a little better understanding. Of the language sometimes of scripture, if you don't keep this distinction, it can' get confusing <laughs> that if that it is spoken of God versus his shedding his blood, laying down his life, which cannot without blasphemy be affirmed of the divine nature as such, but to his human nature only. speaks about it in Hebrews 13: eight now think about this: Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, it's talking about the person of Jesus Christ who has two natures. Now, we know his human nature was conceived in time of the Virgin Mary. So, what's it referring to in this verse? To his divine nature. He's the same yesterday, the past, the present, and the future. He's the same. And that's referring to his divine nature. It helps you to understand those things sayings are a little bit better in your mind if you keep that distinction as you go through the word of God. In Acts 3.15 it says, And kill the prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who's the Lord of glory? The Son of God. And His deity is the Lord of glory. You say, well, how could they crucify Him? in his human nature. He was crucified in his human nature in his person. He's the person of his human nature. That's why it's applied to him. The that the prince of life was killed and the lord of glory was crucified. So the scripture says also that God purchased his church by his blood and laid down his life for us. The person that died was the very God and prince of life and lord of glory. But It was in his human nature and not in his divine nature that he suffered, although both made made but both made but one person. He's speaking about the one person, and that we have to keep that distinction. It can say that God is doing it because he was God. This one God, this God, Jesus Christ, is doing it in his human nature. Human nature. Oh, the blessing that we can get a little more understanding of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says in John 10:30, I and my Father are one. Now, He was one with the Father in His essence because He was God. The Holy Spirit's God, the Father is God. So when He says, I and my Father are one, that's referring to which nature? His divine nature is the Son of God. He was one with the Father. The human nature can never be one with the Father in His essence because you can't change human into God and you can't change God into human. Nothing. God did not change His essence or who He was before and after. He had a relationship afterwards with two natures that He never had before. That's amazing. That's God's love for you and I that He would humble Himself To that point. Which is amazing. And talking about. And over in John. 8.58. Jesus said unto them. Verily. Verily. I say unto you. Before Abraham was I am. They say. How can you be. How can you be before Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. He was before Abraham. In his deity. In his divine nature. In his divine nature. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus says. He saw saw Christ when he was ready to offer his son for sacrifice. That that was a picture of Christ being slain. He said he had the hope that even if he slain Isaac, he would be resurrected. The Word was made flesh. That was accomplished in the fullness of time but from all eternity he was the I am, the great I am. When he says in scriptures, I am that I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, and I am. He's referring to his deity. He was the great I am. He was the I am that Moses met. The son of God, and as such came forth from God. In the verse 23 of the, of the chapter it says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. And I put, they deny his deity as the Son of God with the Father. People will confess that God the Father is God, but they'll deny that Jesus is God. Deny his eternal sonship. With the eternal Father, showing that they do not worship the Father because they do not worship the Son of God. You can't deny the Son without denying the Father because they're one. They're one, it's because there's only one God, one in essence. But to agree with the Word of God that the Son of God is God in the Godhead, has the Father also as both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being the true and living God. I know the Trinity and these things are a great mystery to us, but they're revealed in the Scriptures. Jesus is a mystery to us in that He was God and man, that He had a human nature and a divine nature, and that when you speak of Him as God, it can refer to Him as God. It's true. God laid down His life for us But how did he do that? In his human nature. That's the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And there's many more things I could bring out to your attention. But this will suffice. And I pray as you read the scriptures, this might give you a little better understanding of the person whom we love and worship. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. May you bless this word to our heart and soul. In Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Does someone have a song in closing?